Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Well, I'm going to warn you. Um, <laughs> my wife told me last week you guys probably felt like you were drinking from a fire hydrant. I don't know. Um, my, my first thought is, have you ever saw anybody try to drink from a fire hydrant? I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't. I mean, I would think it would be pretty intense considering <laughs> when I've seen firefighters out with a fire hydrant and they pop that cap off. I couldn't imagine your face being in front of it. So, um, <laughs> anyways, last week may have been a little bit, uh, a lot of information. This week, I'm going to warn you just a little bit ahead of time. I know what has been taught um, for years, honestly, and I know that there is a lot of, of, uh, of, of differences of opinion on rapture and second coming and things like that. Now, for those of you who sit back and go, wait, there's differences of opinion. Yes. Matter of fact, if you were to go to a seminary or things like that, you're going to have people who are in certain camps. If you've studied it in any way, shape, or form, you probably fall into one camp or the other. Um, and we're going to explain to the best of our ability um, each of those in a very simple way. Um, I'll, I'll let you know um, that I am going to talk a little bit about the rapture, uh, partially because it is literally what was the most popular, has become the most popular viewpoint of the rapture and second coming um, over the last really century. For those of you who don't realize... Um, a lot of our end times theology um, has, has really changed over the last century, the last hundred years. Um, and, and most of you probably have learned what's called a pre-tribulation or a pre-millennial view of the rapture and things like that, pre-trib, pre-millennial uh, and things like that. So we're going we're gonna to talk through a number of these. But I want to I encourage you with this before I really get started. Um, as I thought about this, John 16, verse 33 is, it says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And here's, here's the reality of where we're at when it starts talking about end times, when we start talking about uh, the signs of the times, if you start talking about difficulties and struggles, even as we look at that last song, whether it's, it's, it's strongholds or addictions or, or chains, it's, it's sin, it's slavery, like, like Jesus overcomes all of those. Right? If you're looking for peace, all I can tell you is you've got to find Jesus. If you want hope, you need Jesus. If you want life, you need Jesus. If you want a future, you need Jesus. And here's the, the truth of the matter is that most of society or most of our culture, most of our world wants to fulfill or find those, those, those things, peace, hope, love, all of those things through other things, through other circumstances. And the reality is no matter how hard you search, no matter how deep you go, no matter how hard you try and fill those voids, you're never going to find it apart from Christ. Never. And so as we kind of jump into this heavy topic to a certain extent, I want to encourage you with this. Like Jesus says, he's going to overcome the world. Why? Because that's the hope we have. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he defeats sin, he defeats death, but make no mistake about it, when Jesus ascended to heaven, which is what we see in Acts, he said, I will come back. Matter of fact, if you had your Bibles, you can flip to John chapter 14. I'm going to encourage you to mark John chapter 14, and then you can flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 4, verse 13. I'm going to read John first real quick. It's not going to be on your screen just because... I didn't put it on there, um, so, uh, but then we're going to jump over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. John 14 says this, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Now, that is a statement. That is a command. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. That's what Jesus promised. He's, he's telling this to the disciples, and they basically tell him at this point, how can we know where you're going and how do we know the way? And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's some important things that play out there, and we're going to jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in just a little bit, but did you know that there's a doomsday clock? Like, you can go online, look it up. There's a doomsday clock that started about 100 years ago, um, and, and right now, now, and I want to clarify, this is prior to everything that's gone on to Israel. Right now, it's 90 seconds to midnight. Now, midnight supposedly is the end of the world, all right? And the doomsday clock is, is the closest, uh, and, and right now, we're at the closest to the global catastrophe it's ever been. As a matter of fact, I want to read this to you. I had to, I had to pull this up. I, I just, I, I was like, oh my gosh. Um, like, I, I don't know how you get to be on the doomsday clock committee, um, but I kind of, it's actually, I'm going to read this. So this year, the Science and Security Board of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists moves the hands of Doomsday Clock forward, largely, though not exclusively, because of the mounting dangers of the war in Ukraine. The clock now stands at 90 seconds to midnight, the closest to global catastrophe it has ever been. Now, this is prior to everything that has gone on in Israel currently that, that, that we're, with where we're at. So, I mean, I don't know, the Global Scientist, whatever that was, the Science and Security Board of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. So I guess I got to be an atomic scientist, which I don't even know what that is. Like, anyways, in order to get on that committee, I, I just wanted to find that out. But with everything that's gone on in Israel, a lot of people have a lot of questions about what is the end going to look like? How does this play out? What is, what's going on? Why is everything with Russia and Ukraine such a big deal? And here's what I want to encourage us as we jump into this. I believe that as we look at the times, at, 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 at the, the signs of the times, that we should have a greater awareness of end time events, all right, to be aware of what's going on. The Bible even says that, hey, be aware, be on guard, be on alert for what's going on, all right? But it should also raise our awareness of God's great glory and lead us to a greater response in worship. When you look at the end times, it's not about trying to figure out who's right, who's wrong, things like that. It really should lead us to a greater response to God in worship. In other words, that I offer every bit of my life in response to him as an act of worship. That when I sing, when I pray, when I'm digging into the word, that it is a response to God in worship. Why? Because God has some great things in store and he promises or he makes promises that we know are going to come about. So week one of this sermon series, we, we identified signs of the times. We looked at Matthew chapter 24. If you want to know more about end time stuff, listen, you're going to have to dig in way deep because honestly, we're just beginning to kind of scratch the surface of everything that, that, that really scripture has to say about it. Because really, we would have to spend time in, in uh, Daniel. We'd have to look at Ezekiel. We're going to have to look at Isaiah. We're going to have to look at Zechariah. We're going to have to look at most of the minor prophets. Well, then we're going to have to dig into Matthew. We're going to have to know First and Second Thessalonians. We've got to deal with First and Second Corinthians. So there's a lot that plays out in the end times discussion. But week one, 
we said, here's some signs of the times. Here's what we need to be prepared for. Last week, if you remember, we looked at the eternal covenant that God has with the nation of Israel. And listen, I know that's not a popular viewpoint for a lot of people. But what we see from a biblical perspective is that God made a covenant with Abraham for the nation of Israel, and that's not going to change. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of where you line up, regardless of you think that Israel's out of line on, on certain things, God has an eternal covenant he made with the nation of Israel through Abraham, and he's going to see it through to the fulfillment of what he says. So we have to keep all of those in mind as we prepare or as we look at the ends uh, or the signs of the time. So we said in John chapter 14, Jesus said he's going to come back. Now, the, the question remains, what does that look like? How's it going to play out? What does scripture teach? What does scripture say? And I'm going to warn you here that there are viewpoints that you're going to look at and you're going to say, okay, I know what you're talking about. And then there are going to be some that I'm going to bring up and you're going to go, never heard of it. And that's okay. Because here's the beauty of the end times. Guess what? We don't know. We can try and interpret things based upon scripture. We can try and make assumptions, which in reality is every one of these viewpoints that are presented that I'm going to give you a little bit of a information about on each viewpoint, every one of them has scriptural background and authority. The reality is we just don't know how it's going to play out. Why? Because it's future. Matter of fact, if you were to know anything about the Old Testament prophets, we had this thing called, maybe you better sit down. <laughs> I, I try to stand up. I still, this, this boot's a little clumsy. Um, anyways, I, I want you to know that everything that we deal with when it comes to end times, we know that Jesus is going to come back. That's the one thing we, are, we can rest assured on. We know that he's going to come back. Do we know when? No. According to Matthew chapter 24, no one knows the day or the hour. 20, Matthew 24, verse 36, no one knows the day or the hour of when Jesus is going to come back. Matter of fact, the minute you hear somebody tell you, I know when Jesus is going to come back, that should be red flag number one, right? I know it. Matter of fact, I, I, I think I mentioned this. We went to a, a Seventh-day Adventist church right after we went to Texas. We had to do it for our class. We had to go to different we went to Jewish synagogue, we went to the Seventh-day Adventist church, and they had a, a guest speaker in that day, and he said, hey, the end of the world is coming on whatever date it was. And it's past, by the way. I just want you to know, right? He laid it out. And this is how we can tell, because the signs of the times and the stars align, and they show us this is the day Jesus is coming back. And I looked at Sarah, and I went, hmm. Which part of scripture is he leaving out? Because he's trying to reference scripture, but he's kind of leaving out the part that Jesus even spoke on, right? That no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. And then in verse 42 of Matthew chapter 24, he says, therefore keep watch. So I want you to keep this in mind today that you and I are to keep watch because we don't know on what day the Lord will come. So I have to be prepared that Jesus could come today. That Jesus could come tomorrow. That Jesus could come Tuesday. I don't know. And that's a beauty that Jesus lays out. And Jesus says, listen, I don't even know that at this point. Only the Father knows it. And when the Father tells me I'm going to come, I'm going to come. Because that's what I'm going to do. I am obedient to the will of the Father. And that's what, the way it's going to play out. So, listen. 
The Bible does not give. And if you remember anything, this is not the key point. I want you to remember this statement, though, all right? The Bible does not give an explicit timeline concerning future events. There's no specificity. It is not down to the minute minute and everything else. Scripture does not expressly teach one view over the other, and that is why we have a diversity of opinion concerning the end times. Now, you may say, I don't get that, but I want you to understand the viewpoint of the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets had a viewpoint that if you were to term it in the German term, it's called Heilsgeschichte. Gesundheit, sorry. <laughs> All right? And what that is, is this, if you've ever been to the mountains... You'll know what I'm talking about if you have mountains in front of a mountain that's higher in the background. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? You're like, man, that mountain looks really close. Why? Because it's so much bigger. But we got all these mountains in front of me that I got to go over before I get to that key mountain. And so the Old Testament prophets had a message that was to their day, close mountains, but also for the future, far mountains. And that's where we get that term and that idea. And so there's this played out that we think we know what's going on, but we don't necessarily know exactly how it's all going to play out. We know that Jesus is going to come back. The question is, does Jesus come back on the second coming? Do we have a rapture before his second coming? Do we have a rapture mid-tribulation? Do we have a rapture after the tribulation? And listen, I know what everybody's going to say. Well, this is what I've been taught. Good. There is nothing unbiblical about any of these viewpoints. I want you to hear me out when I say that. There is nothing unbiblical on any of these viewpoints. You have to understand that it is interpretation based upon how you view certain words in this idea of rapture. Now, I'm going to clarify and I'm going to go over a couple of things as we do that because I want you to know um, kind of where I lean, all right? But I'm going to tell you point blank, I told Chris and Andy back at the back, I said, man, the more I study this, the more I'm like, golly, dude, I'm just like, all right, Jesus, whatever, right? Because it, it really is. It's like, oh, I can see that. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, I see that too. So we play this out. Now, you may say, well, that, doesn't that call into question God's word? Not at all. Not at all. And the reason it doesn't call into question God's word is because we just don't know the timing. Does that make sense? We don't know the timing. We know that Jesus says he's going to come back. We just don't know the timing. So here's the big idea. If you remember this, I want you to know this. Jesus will call his bride home in a flash. And we will all be with him in the place that he has prepared for us. That's what we can rest assured on. That when Jesus comes, it says it's going to be like in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, in a flash, Jesus is going to come. And when he comes, he's going to call his bride home. And when he calls his bride home, we're going to be with him in the place that he's prepared for us. So there's going to be a lot of things that we're going to play out. Again, I told you to mark 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want to read real quick 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Because here's one of those things that, that comes up. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3, it says, First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation 
But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed, the earth was formed out of water and by water, and by these waters, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and the present earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So here's what we can rest assured on. Jesus is coming back. There are going to be people who scoff at the second coming. There are going to be people who don't believe. There are going to be people who follow their own evil desires. And Jesus said that that, that time when I come back, that, that it's, it's a time that's going to be reserved for judgment. So as we jump into that, I want to jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to explain these various viewpoints. And if you want to take a viewpoint or you want to take a position, listen, you are free to do it. I have friends who are pre-trib, what we call pre-tribulation rapture, and then a second coming. I have friends who are what's called mid-trib. I have friends who are post-tribulation rapture and second comings. And I have friends who are what's called amillennialists. In other words, that the, the rapture and second coming come after this point in time. There is not going to be a tribulation. The tribulation is the current time that we're honestly going through. And you can sit back and you can argue from Scripture every one of those viewpoints. And you're, like, you're sitting here going, what? Serious? You're not helping me out one bit. And what I can say is this. Listen, I'll help you out as much as I can help you out with clarity to point you to God's word. At that point, all four of those things are man-made viewpoints of how the end times are going to come when we just don't know. And the reason we don't know, because it hasn't happened. Like the Old Testament prophets, they proclaimed what was going to happen, but it hadn't happened. When they proclaimed the destruction of the nation of Israel, it hadn't happened. But now we can look back and go, oh, look what happened, right? We got history to show what's going to go on. So as we unpack that, we're going to jump in. We're going to see this. Now, I want you to notice that in Scripture, I do believe that there is a great distinction or a drastic distinction between the church and the nation of Israel, all right? Some would argue there's no distinction between the church and the nation of Israel. Now, as I've dug into this more and more over the last month, I believe there is a drastic distinction. God is very distinct between the church and the nation of Israel. Right now, we are operating in a, a, the church age, is what they call it in dispensationalism. All right, This is this church age that's going on. I want you to understand that I believe, based upon this, that the nation of Israel does receive God's blessing based upon what we talked about last week. And as a result, that at some point, the church is going to be gone, but the nation of Israel is going to go through basically a, a, a new discipline or a re restructuring, if you want to call it, or a realignment with what God has called them to. There are some opinions on when the rapture will happen. I want to explain a couple of things. The rapture and the tribulation. For those of you who grew up in the, in the church, probably in the, in the like late 1900s, you've heard this taught in various ways, but the tribulation is a seven-year period, right, where the Antichrist comes, he establishes peace for three and a half years, there's peace, at three and a half years, he violates his treaty with the nation of Israel, he begins persecution and, and the attempted destruction of the nation of Israel, so that's, that's our first definition of everything that's going on, the tribulation, that's what we see, all right, tribulation, seven-year period where God will finish his discipline of Israel, finalize his judgment of the unbelieving world, and then Jesus would come again. That's the second coming mentality. There's the rapture, all right? The rapture is this idea 
right? It's an eschatological event where both the dead and the living believers are caught up together. Okay? And that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you have 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to read that, and then we're going to jump more into the heart of it. Are you guys confused yet? Do you actually feel like you got your head ripped off by a fire hydrant yet? Okay, I'm just trying to give you some nuts and bolts so you can make a decision based upon that. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant. Right? Everybody say ignorant. ignorant. All right? We don't want you to be ignorant. Paul's being very clear to the Thessalonians, the, the, the church at Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Matter of fact, this is a verse that I use all the time when I do a funeral. Right? That if you are a believer in Christ, you lose somebody who is a believer in Christ. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, right? The Bible is very clear that when we die as believers in Christ, that we go what, what, what's called sleep. Now, it's not soul sleep. A lot of people are like, oh, it's soul sleep. No, it's just the definition that the Bible uses as sleep or death. What in reality happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the so if you die on earth, right, you are present with who? Jesus. You're present with the Lord. To be after the bodies, to be present with the Lord. All right? But here's what he says in verse 14. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in there. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Listen. One of the things we have to begin to understand is how we begin to play out this verse. This verse is oftentimes, or these verses are oftentimes used as the point of saying, hey, it's the rapture, right? Because it says we will be caught up with the Lord in the air. Now, I want to be very clear on this. This tends to be where I lean. I lean into what would, I guess would be called a pre-tribulation uh, viewpoint of, of the rapture. In other words, that we as the church, believers in Christ who are following Christ, that there's a point in time with the rapture where Jesus is going to come in the air. That's it, in the air. He's not coming down onto the earth. He's coming in the air, it says, and it says that we will be caught up with him. First, those who are dead in Christ will rise first, right? In other words, their physical bodies will come up out of the ground. Now, this is my joke where I've said I want to be buried at sea. For those of you who haven't been here, I talked about this. I said I want to be buried at sea. And everybody's like, Why? And I'm like, imagine being the captain of a boat who doesn't believe in Jesus, and all of a sudden this body comes flying up out of the ocean. <laughs> that dude's either going to fall over a heart attack, or he's going to believe real quick that something's going on, <laughs> right? Now, that's, that's a funny, drastic approach at what I'm trying to make a, a point of. But that's the idea, is that those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive at that point in time... After they are caught up, well, they will be caught up with them in heaven. That is the rapture that a lot of people will look at. And there's that point. That's the pre-tribulation idea. Okay? In the pre-tribulation idea, we play this out. Prior to the tribulation, that's pre. You guys got that, right? Like 
Chiefs pre-Super Bowl. Oh, wait, that's, that's a long time ago. Some of you weren't even alive for that, 1969. Um, no, I'm serious. Like, you didn't know the Chiefs pre-Super Bowl. Some of you did because you weren't alive, but I mean. So prior to the tribulation rapture, okay, pre-trip. In other words, before the seven years, God is going to rescue his church so that they don't go through the tribulation. A lot of people we can look at, Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, explains all the bad things that are going to happen as a result of, of the tribulation or what's going to happen when, when the church is gone. As a matter of fact, if you were to flip over to Matthew 24, I just want to read this <clears throat> real quick, kind of give you a, a glimpse of what people would say, hey, this is, this is why I believe the rapture is. It says in verse 20, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. And the argument or the idea is that when you believe in pre-tribulation, that God's not going to make us go through the tribulation. God's not going to make his church suffer. As a matter of fact, we can look all throughout scripture. There's, there's some references to those ideas, right? Revelation chapter 3, I believe it's, um, oh, there's another one. I can't remember. 1 Thessalonians 2 or, or something like that, that, that describes that. Jesus says, you're not going to have to suffer. Through those things. So people use that idea. Well, that, that's going to be the pre-tribulation rapture. I'm going to be taken out, or the church is going to be taken out of this world. And I want you to know what's going to happen as a result of that. If the church is taken out of the world, I want you to think of the chaos that will honestly take place. You may sit back and go, no, that's not true. It's true. When you lose the church, when you begin to take away the church, you begin to understand that there are some great struggles and great difficulties as a result. Why? Because the church is the very essence of what God set up to reach people with the truth of the gospel. It's the thing that God called people out to be compassionate and loving, to be merciful, to show the goodness and grace of Jesus. And so these are some things that we begin to understand, all right? So we have tribulation, all right, seven-year period. We have a rapture. So believe that we're going to be caught up in the air at a second point. And then we have the Antichrist. And I want to bring uh, just a little bit in on that. The Antichrist will bring about peace and then turmoil. We can read it in Daniel chapter 9, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 12. I'm giving you some verses to reference. But I want you to understand what the Bible is very clear on this. That when the Antichrist comes, it will be a person that is going to establish a seven-year covenant with the nation of Israel. And it says that at the midpoint, there'll be three and a half years of peace. At the midpoint, he's going to break that covenant with the nation of Israel and a drastic increase in persecution and the attack of the nation of Israel will take place, which will lead to three and a half years of chaos. Three and a half years of, of turmoil and lawlessness is really what 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says. So all of this is to accomplish what God has set up from the beginning as we look forward to the future coming of Jesus. Okay? So as we look forward to that, I want you to keep that in mind, that the Antichrist will bring about peace, then he will bring about turmoil. So we talked about the tribulation, we talked about the rapture, we talked about the Antichrist, and now I would just want to jump in real quick, and we're going to jump into what's called the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. All right? Got it real quick? Are you bored? You feel like you're sitting in a theological lecture? I hope not, but guess what? To a certain extent, it is. 
because we have to kind of understand what's going on. So uh, we talk about the Greek term rapture, and I want you to know this. What is the rapture? It actually comes, it's an eschatological event, but it comes from the Greek word harpazo. That's right. I usually try not to say those words, but it means to be caught up. Then we converted it over into Latin. You have to forgive me. I got a cold, I think. Everybody, everybody got it. We got some people who are homesick this week. But, um, but our term rapture, if you were to read the Bible, you will not find the term rapture in your Bible. You guys know that? Rapture actually comes from the Latin word rapio, right? Which means to seize or to snatch away, to be caught up. That's the, the idea where we get that, that term rapture. When we talk about this idea, we believe in that way. So we said prior to the tribulation, this is a pre-trib rapture, that God will remove his church, all based upon Matthew chapter 24 uh, and, and following, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Then we have what's called the mid-trib. The mid-trib is this, that the church is going to be there during the three and a half years of peace, and then the rapture is going to happen, and then the church is going to be taken out, and there's going to be three and a half years of turmoil. And then there's the post-tribulation belief. The church will be raptured after the tribulation when Jesus comes back to earth, right? So here's the reality. Pre-trib views the rapture and the second coming separate. Mid-trib views the rapture and the second coming separate. Post-trib views the rapture and the second coming as synonymous or the same thing. All of them could be simply put you can support each and every one of those viewpoints based upon Scripture. Now, I want to encourage you, if you want to dig in more into that, you can go home and look it up. All right? There is a lot. Because I could spend hours upon hours. We could spend weeks on this. Matter of fact, if you were to have sat through my, my end times class in seminary, you would know that I sat through this for 13 weeks. <laughs> and I can sit there back and tell you that I had a viewpoint then. And the more I read and the more I study, sometimes I'm like, man, it's almost like I feel like I'm caught in between. Like, like, yeah, I believe that and I believe this and I believe this. And so I don't know. My dad used to joke around and say this. People would say, are you pre, mid or post? My dad would be like, He's, I'm a pan. And I'll never first forget the first time he told me, I was like, pan, what are you talking about? He's like, it all pan out in the end. <laughs> so uh, I want you to know that this is the reality of where we're at with end time studies. When you dig into the end times, we think we know. We can make good, educated guesses based upon, listen, based upon what God, God's word teaches and still come down with differing viewpoints. It's no different than election, predestination, Calvinism, Arminianism, and all that stuff. I know believers who want to say that you can't be a believer unless you're a Calvinist. And I know people who say, you can't be a believer unless you're an Armenian. At which point I go, really? They're man-made arguments. There is a lot of scripture that we like to think we know and understand. And I believe, please, please hear me out, that I believe the Holy Spirit gives us the wisdom to make the wise decision. But I also want us to know this. There are some things we're just not going to know until it happens. All we can do is follow what God teaches us. So post-trib is the idea that the church will be raptured after the tribulation. And again, I have a buddy who's uh, amillennial. Amillennial is that there is no millennial reign. There's going to be people who argue for a thousand-year millennial reign. Amillennial means no millennial reign because the millennium is already at hand. So when Jesus comes back, it's over. 
Jesus is going to judge. He's going to throw Satan and all his cronies into the burning lake of fire, and it's over, and he's going to establish his new heavens and his new earth, is what we see in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. So the disagreement between pre-trib and post-trib all references or is all built upon, right, the rapture and the second coming. So here's what I want to do real quick, just for us to see some variety on how the related prophecies can be harmonized. The rapture is Jesus comes in the air, is what people are saying. Jesus comes in the air, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The second coming, Jesus comes in earth. Matter of fact, the rapture, Jesus comes in there and his church goes to him. The second coming, Jesus comes on earth and the church comes with him, right? That's, that's the argument on this part, right? Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, we will return with him. It says that Jesus, when he comes back, will return on the Mount of Olives, for those of you who don't realize. So if you were to go over to Israel and visit the Mount of Olives, according to Scripture, when Jesus' second coming comes, he's coming back there. So people are like, I don't get what the big deal is about going to Israel. There's a reason why. You get to walk where Jesus walked, but you also get to look and see where Jesus says he's going to come back. Matthew chapter 24 is the Olivet Discourse. He's on the Mount of Olives. He's telling his disciples all about the end stuff, and he says, I'm going to come back there. Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet, said that the Messiah would return there on that point. So he's going to come back. So the rapture is Jesus comes in the air. The second coming is Jesus comes on the earth. The rapture, he comes for his bride. The second coming, he comes with his bride. The rapture, he comes like a thief in the night. That's what the Bible says. In, in second coming, the whole earth sees him. Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 30. This is why I have the viewpoint that the rapture and the second coming are different things. That's my stance, right? Okay. That's where I line up. Please hear me out. If you're a post-trib person, it's okay. You and I can get along. Matter of fact, uh, one, one of our members, we were having a conversation last week. He's like, oh, I'm post. And I'm like, awesome. And we had our conversation. And there's nothing wrong. Keep in mind what I said. The Bible does not give us an explicit timeline. We are trying to interpret based upon what Scripture teaches. And for those of you who don't know, pre-trib has literally come around the last 100 years. Ryrie Study Bible. Got a guy named Clarence... Clarence Larkin wrote a book. Tim LaHaye was a famous pre-trib guy. If you read the Left Behind series, you would know. You're like, well, I'm definitely pre-trib because that's what Tim LaHaye said. I want you to know the Left Behind series is a fictional book based upon, I mean, he just wrote, wrote a book. He's got studies and stuff, but he wrote a book to make up a story about the end times things that was a bestseller, okay? But I want you to see how this plays out. The rapture, he comes before judgment. The second coming, he comes with judgment. So there is a distinct difference that when I read scripture, I see these played out. He comes like a thief in the light. Like the, the Bible is very clear that we don't know when Jesus is going to come. It's going to come like a thief in the night. And if I was ready, if the people were ready, would they not have been prepared? So those are played out. And listen, here's the reality. Once the church was remo removed, the restraining force of the Holy Spirit, the church, is removed. There's going to be utter chaos in the world. Complete chaos. Matter of fact, if you were to flip over to Matthew chapter 24, it says, At that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. 
They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the earth. To the end of the earth, sorry. And for those of you who argue, like here's the argument. People say, see, that means the rapture and the second coming are synonymous. Nope. Hold on just a second. The coming of the elect is talking about the nation of Israel. You see what I'm talking about? How it becomes confusing because you're trying to sit here going, wait a second. I'm not getting it. I'm not. Okay, I see what you're saying. There is a lot of conjecture about what's going to go on. What I do know is this, and I remind you right back to our main thing, that Jesus will call his bride home. Rapture, no rapture, second coming, all at the same time. Jesus is going to call his bride home in a flash, and we will be with him in the place that he has prepared for us. If you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to wrap up with this just to kind of hopefully give you some encouragement. This, uh, when I was a, a teenager and I had my car, uh, first got my car, they had these, it's, it's really when the static cling stickers first came out, you know what I'm talking about, that would sit on the inside of your window. And I went to the Christian bookstore and I had this, this big sticker, static cling sticker, and it stuck on my back window on the inside. And it had two sneakers and then clouds. And it said in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And it was one of those verses that, that I loved at that point in time. Um, and, I, and I still love it. But I want you to know what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. He says this, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And here it is. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must be clothed itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And then it goes on, he says, death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? Here's what we do know. Jesus is going to come back. Rapture, second coming, different, the same. Jesus is coming. So whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, amillennial trib, make no mistake about it that Jesus is coming. And here's how I believe we need to respond. In Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 40, Jesus warns his disciples in a very specific way. He says, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Like men waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants who ma whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Listen, here's the truth. Again, I wrap up with this. Jesus is coming. My question for you is this. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Again, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, I spent a lot of time 
explaining some of those ideas, but I want you to understand this, that based upon Scripture, Jesus is coming back. He's going to call his children home, his bride he's going to take with him, and he will establish a king and his, or a kingdom on earth that will never fail or never fade, and all of those who stand against him will be judged according to Scripture. They will be judged by the righteousness of Jesus. So my question is this, are you ready? Don't be caught unprepared. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Do you have a relationship with him? Have you placed your faith and trust in him? Have you confessed your sins to him? Do you acknowledge him as Lord and Savior? Because that's in reality all that matters. We can have our viewpoints on the end times. And here's what I expect in the end. I expect that all of those, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all-millennial, will all at some point go, oh, now I see. Because I do believe that oftentimes man-made ideologies become the very thing we'll hang our hat on when the only thing we can hang our hat on is the truth of God's word. You can interpret it how you want to. You can argue with me about rapture, no rapture, rapture, second coming, the same thing. Listen, none of it matters in the end. The only thing that matters is that Jesus is coming and are you saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you with great hope and great expectation. Knowing that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. That at his resurrection or after his resurrection, he met with the disciples. And in front of the disciples, he ascended to the Father. And he told us, he told them, to make no mistake about it, he would come again. And God, whether that means he comes again to rapture his church, and then there's a seven-year tribulation, and then there's going to be the millennial reign, or whether that means that the church walks through the tribulation, and when Jesus comes back, we're raptured, and the second coming comes, God, so be it. We rest assured knowing that you are at work, that God, we stand on, on alert, prepared and ready, watching and waiting, knowing that you give us signs, knowing that the end times draw near, that as, as the ends draw near and near, that people are going to become more treacherous, rash, and conceited. They're going to be more selfish, more ambitious, more lovers themselves rather than lovers of good, having a form of godliness but not acknowledging Jesus. So God, we pray with great expectation and great hope, waiting for our Savior who's going to come on the clouds. And God, at one day, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.